Welcome to Living Word Bible Church, a lovely place for families where we have a passion to sing great songs to Jesus and where sound Bible teaching is central in home groups and in preaching at Sunday services. Living Word Bible Church, teaching the Bible verse by verse. Hello, everyone. Today, hello, everyone. Today, I'm going to be reading from James five verse thirteen, or wait, is and the prayer of faith. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up as if he has sinned. He will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. After he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways, will save a death and cover over a multitude of sins. Well, thank you for that, Tiffany. I think I'm going to have to raise this because otherwise I'll be sitting on the floor. How do we do this? Nope, not that one. Ah. If it had buttons and keyboards, I'd be fine. All this analog stuff. Let us pray before we get into the Word. Heavenly Father, we come before you with our Word open today. We ask that you speak to us. We ask that you quieten our minds and still our hearts so that we can hear the message that you have for us today. Amen. I recall a time as a senior manager when I was working for a large company, it's going back about 15 years now, whenever I needed to kick off a sizable project or buy something expensive, I'd write a proposal that incorporated the business case, the justification, any alternatives that there might be to this proposal, and, of course, the recommendations. These proposals would go to the executive team for approval. So quite a bit of time and effort was put in by myself into writing these, because these were really important. And some of these proposals would shape the company direction. After one of the approvals meetings, I was speaking to the secretary who was minuting that meeting, and I asked her if there was much discussion about my proposal. And she looked at me and she said, you realise no one reads them. They've decided what they want to do way before you wrote the proposal. 
It's just a mere formality. And I remember thinking, well, what's the point in putting in the effort if it's all a fait accompli? And I'm sure sometimes that's how we think of prayer. An inner voice telling us it's a bit of a waste of time. It's a formality. Perhaps we may feel, you know, what's the point if God's already made up his mind on something? And we might even question, does he even hear our prayers when no obvious result follows? And these attitudes can lead us to not make time to pray and to deprioritize prayer in our lives. And as we look at the passage today, we're reminded on the importance of prayer in the lives of believers. We're reminded about the power of prayer and the vital role that it plays in our relationship with God. James is writing this letter to Christians who are scattered all over. They were being persecuted. They felt overwhelmed and they felt alone at times. And I'm sure word had reached James and the other apostles about the, the, the discouragement that some of these Christians would be feeling in their communities. And so in these final verses of this letter, this letter to the scattered churches, he emphasizes the following points, talking about the power and the importance of prayer, the importance of community and the role of faith in this. So let's start at verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Prayer is a powerful tool that allows us to communicate with God and seek his will for our lives. And James reminds us that we should pray not only when we're in trouble, but when we're happy. Trouble usually marks a low point in our lives, and happiness is usually a high point. Prayer is appropriate at these two extremes, and everything in between that as well. This means that prayer should be a regular part of our daily lives. Not just the last resort when things go wrong. It's not the spare tire that you pull out of the boot when you've got a flat. And this verse is referring to an individual's prayer life. Is anyone in trouble? Let that person pray. Is anyone happy? Let that person pray. James acknowledges that each of our lives will have those moments of ups and downs and that we might find ourselves in different situations. But no matter what we are facing, we should always turn to God in prayer because it allows us to connect with God on a personal level. As we pray, we're reminded of God's love, his grace and his faithfulness towards us. We can pour out our hearts to him and prayer brings us into a place, a place of peace in the midst of difficult circumstances. However, prayer is not just, uh, not just about asking God for things, it's also about seeking his will. It's about aligning our hearts to his purposes. When we pray, we should be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit and willing to obey his voice. We should pray for our family, our friends, our neighbours, as well as those around us that are suffering or in need. We should pray for wisdom, for guidance, for discernment, as well as for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And what exactly is prayer? Well, it can take on many different forms, and today we've prayed several times already. But at its core, 
Prayer is simply a conversation with God. We can come to him with our joys and sorrows, our hopes and fears, and know that he is listening. In prayer, we can point out our hearts to God. We can pour out our hearts to God, knowing that he cares deeply for us and for our well-being. And then James continues in verse 14, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. At the time this letter was written, as new churches were established, the apostles raised up elders to take care of the believers in each of the regions. And so elders can refer to mature and spirited leaders who are there to take care of the church. The sick person that's referred in these verses has a serious illness, not just the common cold. They are asked to call the elders because they're too sick to pray for themselves. And a believer weighed down by such a serious illness may also be experiencing a weak faith. So the elders, who are coming from a stronger position of faith, are praying for them on their behalf. These verses are emphasising the importance of prayer and faith in the healing process. And it suggests that a prayer of faith, when offered by the elders of the church, can lead to a sick person's recovery. And that forgiveness of sins may also be granted. So it's an encouragement to us to have faith and seek support from our church community in times of need. But on the face of it, these verses seem to indicate a formula, calling the elders praying in faith in the name of the Lord with anointing of oil. If you do these things, that will make the sick person well. And that's difficult to reconcile and understand for a couple of reasons. The use of oil, while this was common practice um, when this was written, it's strange and outdated to us now. The use of oil was a symbolic act that represented the work of the Holy Spirit. The oil was not a magical substance, but rather a visible spirit of the spiritual work that was taking place. And the oil used in those days may have contained medicinal properties. Luke 10 talks about the Good Samaritan dressing the wounds of the injured man with oil and wine. Is the promise of healing here? Does a prayer offered in faith result in the healing for a sick person? There have been countless sick believers who have been prayed for, but weren't healed. So we might wonder, why is this? While God can heal us, he does not always choose to do so. Physical healing and forgiveness of sins are ultimately at the discretion of God. And then there's this relationship between faith and healing. Are people not healed simply because they don't have enough faith? Or did the elders not have enough faith when they were praying? Well, faith is not a magic formula either that guarantees healing. Rather, faith is a necessary component in our relationship with God. When we come to God in faith, we are acknowledging our need for him and our trust in his goodness and power. As Jeff read in Psalm 20, in the name of the Lord, we trust. While faith does not guarantee healing, it does help us to connect with God in a deeper way. So let me say up front that I do believe supernatural healing is possible. While I haven't witnessed it myself, my dad gave his testimony that involved healing, and I'll just summarise that for you today. 
He grew up in a small Indian village which was struck down with smallpox, and many died, especially the children of the village. He became ill with smallpox as a child during this time. But actually, a couple of months earlier, his mother had converted from Hinduism to Christianity. And every Sunday, she traveled to a search several kilometers away because Christianity was not permitted in their small village. Dab was pronounced as ready to die by the visiting medical team. And so the family put him out of the house because death is complicated in Indian culture. There's cleansing rituals and driving out of spirits. So that's why people would put people um, who are dying out, out of the gates. Through the prayers of his mum and her church, he was healed. The uncle he was living with was shocked. But he thought a goat sacrifice that he'd made to the village god had brought about the healing. A week later, this uncle became ill with smallpox and he asked Dad to come and pray for him. Dad prayed and he pleaded with God. He said that he needed this uncle in his life because his mother was a widow. Dad's died Dad's dad died young, and the uncle had taken them in with their limited resources. The uncle was healed, and he backed down on his objections about Christianity. As the head of the household, he ultimately decided who could do what, and he gave permission for my dad to go with his mum to church on Sundays, where dad then grew in faith. Do I believe healing is possible? Yes. And Dad's recovery profoundly impacted his life journey. He dedicated himself to God. He became theological, he, he began theological studies. He became a missionary in India. He raised and taught many pastors in the, in the region. His life was about ministry. But does healing always happen? No. Dad died 12 years ago from cancer. He was prayed for by the elders in very much the same way that these verses talk about, yet he still died. So how might we understand these verses? Well, we need to remember that God's ways are not our ways. While we may struggle with the idea of unanswered prayer and unhealed sickness, it's important to remember that we may not always understand why things happen the way they do, but we can trust in God's wisdom and his goodness. And as an example, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul writes about a physical ailment, a thorn in his flesh. Three times Paul pleaded with God to take it away, but this did not happen. As demonstrated throughout Acts and, and other books, Paul had the ability to heal through God, yet not his thorn in the flesh. God's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. And something, the, the other thing we should do is focus on the spiritual aspect of healing. While physical healing is important, we should remember that spiritual healing is far more important because eternity is at stake. For example, in Mark 2, a paralyzed man was brought to Jesus to be healed. This man's friends lowered him through the roof of the building where Jesus was speaking. And Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. The paralyzed man's friends were seeking physical healing, but Jesus' concern was with his spiritual state, not the physical state. Healing only took place after the Pharisees questioned Jesus' authority 
to forgive sins. In situations where there is no healing and a person dies, we are reminded that we are to pray for God's will to be accomplished in the lives of his people. And there comes a time in everyone's life when it's God's will that we lay down our physical lives so that we might enter his presence. For some of us, this change will happen quickly and dramatically. And for others, the transition will be slow and may be accompanied with much pain. But regardless of the details, God wants each and every one of us to face it with courage and with peace. The difference between a believer and an unbeliever is revealed through the attitude towards things like this. Christians believe that death is a doorway, a doorway to glory, to eternal bliss with God. Death is not something that we fear, but rather we anticipate with a sense of excitement. If approaching that doorway means walking a path of pain, then we know God will give us the grace to endure whatever it is that he's called us to go through. Which brings us to our next verse that outlines the importance of community. As believers, we don't need to endure these things alone. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Prayer is not just something that we do in isolation. As believers, we are part of a larger community of faith. And our prayers can have a powerful impact on those around us. When we pray for others, we're not just asking God to intervene in their lives, but we're also demonstrating our love and our care for them. And when we pray together as a community, we are strengthened by each other's faith. One of the reasons why community is so important is that it provides us with a sense of belonging, with a sense of identity. As we gather with other believers, we're reminded that we're part of a larger family here, the body of Christ. We can encourage and support one another, share our joys and struggles, and grow in our faith together. And this is especially important in times of difficulty or suffering, when we need the love and care and support of others to help us get through. Community is also important because it allows us to use our God-given gifts for the benefit of others. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul compares the church to a body, each member having a unique role to play. As we gather together, we use our gifts and talents to serve one another and to build up the body of Christ. This not only benefits those around us, but also helps us to grow in our faith and in our maturity. However, community is not always easy. It requires us to be vulnerable and open to others, to forgive one another, and to work through conflicts and disagreements. But when we're committed to building and maintaining healthy relationships, we can experience the richness and the depth of community that God intends for each of us. And I think also from these verses, it's important to understand what confession is. Confession is not just a one-time act of admitting our wrongdoing, but it's an ongoing process of acknowledging our faults and our weaknesses before God and others. Confession requires humility and vulnerability as we are forced to confront our shortcomings and to ask for forgiveness. 
when we confess our sins to God and to others, we're acknowledging our need for his grace and his mercy. We cannot receive forgiveness if we're unwilling to admit our wrongdoing. And if we don't seek reconciliation with those that we have hurt, how are we going to be forgiven by them? Confession is a necessary step in the process of healing and restoration, both in our relationship with God and in our relationship with each other. Finally, James emphasises the role of faith in our prayers. Verse 17, Elijah was a human being, even as we were. We are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Here he reminds us that it's not simply enough to just ask for things. We must believe that God is able to answer our prayers according to his will. This requires trust and surrender on our part as we acknowledge that God's ways are higher than our ways. In these verses, James gives an example of Elijah, a man, just like us, who was known for his faith and his powerful prayers. Elijah's prayers were able to stop the rain for three and a half years and then to bring rain again when he prayed for it. And this is a powerful demonstration of the power of faith that you can read more about in 1 Kings 17 and 18. When we have faith in God and trust in his power, we can accomplish great things. We also see that faith requires action. James tells us that Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and then he prayed again that it would rain. This shows us that faith is not just a matter of believing in God's power, but also taking action based on that belief. When we have faith in God, we are called to act on that faith and to trust that God will work through us. We're also reminded that faith is not just about a personal relationship with God, but also about our relationship with others. James tells us that if anyone wanders from the truth, we should seek to bring them back. And in doing so, we can help save them from spiritual death. These verses shouldn't be taken as an endorsement of judgment or condemnation towards those who have strayed from the faith. Instead, it should be seen as a call of action for faithful believers to be a source of support and guidance and encouragement to those who are struggling in their faith journey. Ultimately, it's up to God to judge and to offer forgiveness for those who have sinned, but it's our role to show the love and compassion of Christ. So how might we apply these, uh, this encouragement from James on prayer, community and faith in our lives? Well, I've put some up there on the screen. In prayer, set aside intentional time for prayer each day. Could be in the morning, during your lunch break, before bed, for the 30 seconds you're in the lift. Choose a time that works best for you and make it a priority. Start small even if it's a couple of sentences to begin with. God wants authenticity, so start where you're at 
don't try and imagine you need to have a prayer life like some super theologian that you might, um, you might know about. Create a prayer list to help you remember the people and the things that you want to pray for. You could use a journal, an app, sticky notes. Pray with others. Find a friend or a small group and pray with them regularly. Organise a prayer walk around your neighbourhood or your workplace. And be specific in your prayers. Instead of just asking God for general blessings for help, be specific about what you want or need him to do. This can help you see how God is answering your prayers and to build your faith. Jeff gave us a very specific prayer point to help him remember. That's very specific, so we can take that and incorporate that into our prayers this coming week. Community. Get involved in a small group. This can help you build relationships with other believers and help you find the support and encouragement in your faith journey. We can serve. We can look for ways to help here at church and inside of our community. Serving others is a demonstration of our faith in action, and it also helps build relationships with those around us. And we can be vulnerable, sharing our struggles and our joys with others, being open and honest about our experiences that can help us to connect with others and to find the support and encouragement that we might need, but also it might be a support and encouragement to them. And to build faith, spend time in the Bible each day. This can help deepen our understanding of God's character and his ways and to find comfort and wisdom in his word. We can improve in our obedience, asking God what he wants us to do and then take steps to obey that. This could be anything from forgiving someone who has hurt us uh, or to sharing our faith with a friend. And increasing our trust in God in difficult circumstances. When facing trials or challenges, choosing to trust that God is in that and that he's working for all things together for our good. This can help us to grow in our faith and to build our trust in him. So friends, as we approach this week, let's be reminded of the, prayer, the power of prayer and community and faith in our lives by committing to praying in our low and high points and praying for each other, by looking for opportunities to be intentional about cultivating our relationships within this church community that we have and being proactive in reaching out to those struggling in their faith. Let us pray. Living Word Bible Church. Teaching the Bible verse by verse.